friends to Discipleship Conversations, a podcast featuring, well, Discipleship Conversations between Jeremy Hoover and Stephen Carazel. We believe that discipleship in its most simple form is about following Jesus within the kingdom vision of the biblical narrative. In these conversations, we reflect with more detail on what that means. Your co-hosts for the podcast are me, Jeremy Hoover, and Stephen Carazel. Jeremy is focused on a discipleship-oriented church plant in Sarnia, Ontario, and Stephen concentrates on discipleship and spiritual formation in his work as associate minister with the Alta Mesa Church of Christ in Fort Worth, Texas. Thank you for joining us for another Discipleship Conversation, where we reflect on what it means to live as a follower of Jesus on mission, where discipleship and the kingdom of God call us into a new reality and give us a new script for life. Hey everybody, welcome back to Discipleship Conversations, the podcast hosted by myself, Jeremy Hoover, and my good friend and co-host, Stephen Carazal. Stephen, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Jeremy. Good to see you again. Cool. Yeah, thank you. I think by now, most folks uh, that have been listening to the podcast recognize that I am working as a church planter in Sarnia, Ontario, Canada. And Stephen, you are, uh, I think I, I think I finally get it right, associate minister. Associate minister, that's right. Yeah, at the Alta Mesa Church of Christ in Fort Worth. That's right. Way down awesome. south. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we are separated by some miles. That's uh, right. But, it, but it's interesting because I think we bring, the, one of the reasons I enjoy our conversation so much is because we bring diverse views and understandings of discipleship. You're working in a, at least what I would consider to be a larger uh, brick and mortar type church. And I am trying to get a church plant off the ground in secular Canada. And you're in, I, I guess, what we would consider the Bible belt of the United States. And so that's right. Uh, so we've, so uh, we've, we've both got an interest in discipleship. I, I love talking to you about these things and it helps sharpen my thinking as well. But this, this episode is a little special for us because we're, we're actually doing, we've, we've been going through this book, Discipleship and Community, written by Mark Powell, John Mark Hicks, and Greg McKinsey. We've just been going chapter by chapter through it. We've been talking about what we've learned. We've been talking about its influence on our heritage, Churches of Christ. And then we've been talking about some practical directions that churches could, could move in. We've been going chapter by chapter, but today's episode is the first time that we're going to be looking at a chapter for the second time. And the chapter in the book is chapter six, and it's called Experiencing God in Community, the Sacraments. And we talked a little bit last time about what sacrament means. I shared from my own experience, my difficulty with the word. And yet this chapter was so important to us that we decided to do a part two. Could you comment, Stephen, a little bit on, on why we're revisiting this chapter? Yeah, I think that uh, you've, you've kind of mentioned this before. These are some of our strengths. The baptism and communion are some of our strengths. They're strong commitments that Churches of Christ have made uh, to, to uh, as activities that are important to our tradition 
uh, our belief in, in, in the act of baptism, uh, particularly as uh, an adult by immersion, and the weekly practice of communion is, uh, both those things are very important to us. Now, the, I, think what, uh, I think what we're going to do today is brings uh, some depth to those things. Uh, that the authors uh, share in uh, this chapter. I think one of the one of the issues throughout our our movement over the, the the centuries of it, I guess you know, century and a half or so of the movement, has been the struggle with uh, losing a theological depth that I think Alexander Alexander Campbell tried to bring. Uh, he did bring that. He tried. He did bring. Uh, and even to some extent stone and others, but really kind of lost in uh, mid uh, last century of, uh, because we started just insisting on the things themselves and not leaning into the meaning, the essence of those things. Mm. And so by the time I'm growing up, uh, I'm, I believe those things are important, but I don't really know why other than, if you don't do them, you're not right. Uh, and so, which led to an openness of once I started uh, growing in ministry, uh, studying for ministry, studying theology, and learning those things, I was really captivated by what's introduced in this uh, book, or in this, uh, in this chapter of the sacramental theology, this idea that God is in these things, in a lot of things, but in these things and in a ways that really lit my imagination, lit my heart and made me excited about the activity. So there's more than just doing the deed, just like getting someone baptized or getting them wet or whatever, whatever language we would use about that, or even just, you know, marking like notches in the belt. It's, it's about getting someone baptized or how many people do you baptize this year or whatever, or even the practice. I think a lot of times we'd see in churches, uh, you know, people got a busy Sunday. They want to come and they want to, they would like, they prefer the communion earlier in the service so they can take it and move on. You know, uh, if that's, that's the important thing, come take communion and leave. And it wasn't about the community. It wasn't about, it was an individual moment and really just a very brief moment of taking this thing. And so I think that's what's important about this chapter is encourages us. And they're, they're not alone in this. Um, John Mark Hicks has participated in a couple of projects uh, that result in books that have mm -hmm. uh, talked more about communion and baptism and other writers have. Uh, and what I've learned is that reading outside of church of Christ in some mainline uh, denominations, uh, you, you get a much more, uh, a much deeper theology in some of those uh, from those writers than, than I would find in the way I grew up. And so I'm really thankful for the way they bring this in uh, to our tradition and see that as, as this, these are things that nurture discipleship in us. They don't just check off boxes of things we've done, but they nurture discipleship in us. Uh, Every time we witness a baptism, every time we participate in communion, these are opportunities to nurture discipleship in us as a community. And this is one of the reasons why I was drawn to the book 
uh, is because discipleship has become in some ways an individual pursuit uh, about what I'm doing, following a particular formula. Uh, and, and, and I think these authors really bring discipleship back into this collective pursuit, mm-hmm. uh, this community pursuit and not by some formula, you know, thought up, imagined, diagrammed out, but in the practices, the historical practices of the church, particularly as we get to baptism and communion, uh, that is, uh, is really important. Yeah. Yeah. There's something very non-sacramental and non-communal about that notion that, Hey, we, we're going to come in today. I'm just letting you know, we got to leave early. We're going to take communion and then we got to duck out. Uh, that, uh, and I don't mean that critically about any folks. That's just the way that we, because we've missed the depth of some of this, which I think the book's restoring. That's, that's what folks have, have been left with. You know, it reminds me of the Paul's teaching in first Corinthians about discerning the body when you come together around the table and historically or traditionally, at least in, in my experience that discerning the body has been, Everybody has to be solemn and quiet and thinking about, you know, Jesus up there on, on the cross. And yet when, when you read the text closely, he probably is talking about discerning the relationships within the body of Christ. And, and so to think about what does it say for me to basically dine and dash with the Lord's Supper or, or communion? Uh, is is a form of of not properly discerning the body and and these I, so the correctives or and that's probably not even a good word the 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 teaching that they provide in this book I think helps us recover some of some of the depth another thing that we're going to address as we talk about this is the way that baptisms for, in many places have become private situations now. Uh, for some reason, folks are wanting to come in on a Tuesday night by themselves to be baptized instead of saying, uh, let's do this in front of the whole church. For some reason, baptisms have become private. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think there's a number of examples that we could point to even in the book of Acts where baptisms would have been private relative to being part of, of a church gathering. But there is something that's missed. There's, there's uh, something that that the body, the community misses when, when we do that. Uh, I had, I was reading this morning in Exodus and uh, as Israel leaves Egypt and they go through the, through the Red Sea and God parts the waters. And I was thinking about how prominent water is in the Bible, both as a means of salvation but also as a means of judgment, you know, because the water then closes onto Egypt. And there's many times in, in the Psalms that that water is spoken of as something that, you know, somebody's struggling in water and, and they need God to pull them up. And there's, it just got me thinking about our discussion today and with, with baptism, how there's so much depth that can be taught and talked about. We, we need to move past these simple things of get baptized because you're not going to heaven without it. That's just, 
such a, a simplistic point of view. So having said that, do you want to begin walking us through the part of the book that we're going to be looking at today? Yeah, I'll start. Uh, one, I'll uh, comment just on your dine and dash uh, comment <laughs> <laughs> that earlier. That was, was really good. Uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, to maybe strategically place your uh, communion, if you have a church that is interested in that, to place maybe your communion at the end of the service, that would help mitigate people dining and dashing. Maybe they come in late, but uh, you won't well, be able to stay might, as long as they but, want. But if the, if the purpose is to prevent the dine and dashes, I don't know that we're hitting the right point there either. Uh, you know, one baby step at a time, Jeremy, you know, you never <laughs> okay. know what situation someone may be in, what, what, uh, how, how to do stuff. So, okay. Uh, the other thing I want to pick up on you, you alluded to this, uh, individualizing baptism and, uh, it, it w- and I think that comes from one thing it comes from is the immediacy that we have put on, uh, that we prioritized in churches of Christ uh, because, because you're not saved, you know, we put it, we hung everything right here on this moment that then there's why put it off because you know, what happens between you wanting to do this and you actually doing this. And so we try to make it as early as possible, quickly as possible. And so it's kind of become a bit individualized. So there's other things that wrapped up in that, but that's one of the, one of the deals. Uh, and I remember uh, listening to Randy Harris talk about this. I mean, uh, one, I think it was an old recording and I was listening to it uh, some time ago. So I was listening to it probably 10, 15, probably 15 years ago. And it was an older recording at that. But he said, he said he was battling this community and urgency, you know, uh, the importance of, 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 of doing it and not putting it off for so long. But he would, he kind of put those two things together. He said, as soon as possible with as many as people as possible. This is kind of how you put those two things together. And, you know, I've carried that with me. Uh, I don't, I don't, I, I don't live in fear about, you know, between someone's decision to be baptized and actual baptism. I'm not concerned as the way that we used to be concerned about that in the tradition I grew up in as, as I grew up in it. Uh, but yeah, I think community is really important in, in baptism to remind people uh, to, it's because, and we'll see it, it for people to witness it, to see it, because so much can happen in witnessing these things. And so that's, I guess that's where we pick up where we left behind uh, in the last episode into what, what we've both have said, probably the most practical aspect of the book is found in this section in chapter six about how to bring more uh, depth into the the moment of baptism and in communion. Uh, So, so we start that. I also want to just kind of reference what this follows this, uh, what we refer to as potentially a curriculum for teaching about baptism and Lord's Supper. Mm -hmm. I think that's important to hold that in the background as, as we move into this part of the book uh, that there's each, there's like 
five statements for each of those uh, for baptism and, and for five statements for Lord's Supper about some depth there that I think would go into teaching. And then so now with that in the backdrop, what do we do? How can we use the worship service, which pulls in from chapter five, the worship service, as, a, as an opportunity, not just gathering, but as a place to nurture discipleship. Uh, so their first uh, suggestions or six suggestions about how to make baptism, uh, how to take the moment of baptism, of someone's baptism, and, and bring some depth to it uh, to nurture discipleship in us. So that's how that's a way to introduce this. Uh, we can go those through those things one at a time, um, maybe a little bit quickly, not too too long here, but uh, so I'll list them off, Jeremy, and maybe we mm-hmm. can decide which ones stand out to you. Uh, Tell the story, rehearse our story. This is for baptism. Confess the story, confess the Messiah, enact the story, and celebrate in community with people. And so we might say, well, yeah, we confess. That's part of the baptism. It's, it's, but it's more about everybody communally doing this. I, I've, uh, to help me out a little bit, I've, I put some word, like a word for each of those things that seems that they, they lean on that. And I'll go to that and then we can kind of expound from that a bit. So tell the story is, is leaning into scripture, speaking out what scripture says about the story that baptism is encapsulating. Rehearse our story, uh, testimony, uh, this idea of us speaking the story as it's living in our life. Confess the story is, uh, which I think is interesting. Uh, they tie to a creed, maybe reciting a creed, not just the person, but the whole church reciting a creed. Uh, um, confess the Messiah. I think it's a move of discipleship. Who Who is it that I follow? Mm. Uh, enact the story. Uh, imitate it's kind of like do the, the words that, that God spoke over Jesus, his baptism. How do we speak those words? So we're imitating that story. And then celebrate in community. And I just put people. There's, there's your people. Uh, do this with people. This is a community event. It's not just, it is an individual event, but it's a community event because the individual event is initiation into the community. And so I think that's really important. Yeah, those are good. As as you went through those, I think they helped, uh, they helped clarify it. I I really like your idea of, uh, and I I don't think they said this directly in the book, but, but there's a a way of putting these thoughts together as a curriculum, or I used the word catechism last time to, to really go over some of these things with the proper depth that they need to have. So as an example, I, I had already in my own example touched on the community versus private aspect. 
And when our ba- when the baptisms happen privately, we always acknowledge them publicly, but we acknowledge them in the sense of so uh, and so and so was baptized last Tuesday. We need to rejoice, and then maybe there's a brief moment of celebration in the in the community. But that's it. Uh, even even on the times where I can recall somebody presented themselves during a worship service for baptism, the way that we went about it, and, and again, I don't mean this critically, this is just the way we've been formed in this, the way that we went about it was just to acknowledge that somebody was going to be baptized, and then they would go back to to change, and we would sing a few hymns, and then we'd come out to the baptistry and I or whoever was presiding over it would do what we call take the person's confession. And, uh, and then we would, we would announce some kind of formula related to, I now baptize you into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy spirit. And then uh, the person would come up out of the water. There'd be another moment of celebration and then that would be it. Now, that's good, but it assumes a lot. It, it assumes many of these other points that, that we know what the story is, that we know what the person's story is, that we know that this is a discipleship move. It assumes all these things in a way that I'm not sure should be assumed. I think one of the reasons that we find so many young people not being baptized in in our day and age now is in large part they they see it as a transactional thing and they don't see it as a theological thing um i i wonder as you were going through your list there uh i want i wanted to make a comment that i know is going to grind some people the wrong way but it's almost as though we would want to hold off on baptisms you know, and maybe do like a monthly baptism or a quarterly baptism day where, where that can be the emphasis of it. And if, if folks don't like that, maybe at minimum what we can do or consider would be a quarter, like, like a quarterly, you can still emphasize, we have, we can still emphasize baptism on this quarterly basis. And on that particular day, we will share testimonies of those who have been baptized in the last three months. We will teach about baptism. We will talk about how folks' lives have changed since they've been baptized. Maybe we can have an elder or two pray over the folks who have been baptized or share their own stories. And uh, as a way of, of highlighting the, the community dimension of that, I think, I think we're, I think we're hurt by by not talking about it more, by not emphasizing that dimension of it. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, I, I, I like that. I think, uh, yeah, I think some people will be rubbed wrong by that, but I think that uh, it provides an opportunity, a concentrated opportunity, an intentional opportunity to, 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 to teach. Uh, perhaps you could, you could, uh, instead of just like reserving all of these, things for this one day every so often uh 
initiate a, a time of teaching mm-hmm. and let that follow a, a six weeks uh, class about baptism. And so that you enter people, try to get people into that class and that the baptism is a result of that class so that you've done some teaching, you know, it, it models a little bit back when, you know, I remember going with my dad to Bible studies to, 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 to teach people, you know, to convert people, to, to get people to, to be baptized. He would do Bible study, individual Bible studies. And so it'd be like doing a group Bible study. And so using this curriculum leading into mm-hmm. that. And, um, and so it would result, you just schedule that four times a year or six times a year or whatever, mm-hmm. and let the, the, the result of that, the end part of that be uh, group baptism. If that's how you are able to do it. I think that's, that's a way of, of making that happen because you are, because I think that's one of the, the keys is not just, it could be perceived as holding people off, but if you look at it as urging people into the process, that that's a different, uh, you're calling people into this and you're calling people to think about it, to learn about it. And yes, I understand there's, there's a, uh, there's baptism moments that just strike people. And maybe mm-hmm. it's stuff stored up for a long time. It happens. But I think, so I think there's, there's, there's ways we could be prepared about that. Uh, I remember uh, one of the preachers I worked with um, that br- brought in a uh, kind of like a, a script, but here are, here are three passages that we're going to read while someone's getting ready Someone has said they want to be baptized and while they're preparing for that baptism, because uh, we're going to do it in the service right then, right there, we're going to read these scriptures about baptism. And so uh, perhaps, so it's a baptism liturgy, if mm-hmm. we can use that word. And so that would, that's, that could be created uh, by somebody in the church um, and then enacted every time that's if you know if you want to participate in something somebody's urgent need for baptism at that moment in that service that's that's fine while they're getting ready uh shift things to where you've created a moment to to teach uh and to so i think you can incorporate several of these things in that moment Mm, other than just reading a passage but maybe participating in some other kinds of ways uh, I think that's really, that can be really helpful uh, with, in our current, and maybe the current practice, the current way it happens. Uh, that's, uh, that was helpful to us. It became really intentional. Here are passages we want to read. Here are things we want to say about this moment. Uh, and, and then one of our ministers that I worked with here, uh, that I don't, he's not on our staff anymore would often in the water uh, and he had prepared them to do it. Not just take the confession is what we would usually say, mm-hmm. but encourage that person to tell their story. What brought you to this moment? And it wasn't long, but what brought you to this moment? And so I think those are a couple simple ways that could be just inserted into our current process. Instead of proceeding with service as planned, while we're waiting for someone to change for baptism, uh, we enter into a little liturgy about baptism, why it's important and what it means, but for this person, but also for the community. And then maybe in the water, 
before taking someone's confession, ask them what brought them there. And uh, I think that's, those are important things. Man, I think the, the stories are so important. Um, I, I don't, I can't recall in all of my years of being raised in church and helping to lead churches where we took the time during a baptism, either before or after, to hear somebody's story. And some of that was complicated by uh, nonsensical notions of the decorum of the worship service. Um, uh, others of it were complicated by notions of, well, it, it's a woman being baptized and women can't speak and, you know, that kind of stuff that, you know, <laughs> but it, the, the story is so, is so important, especially for uh, younger people that are being shaped in their faith or, or, or even for folks that maybe d don't realize, oh, somebody else was going through exactly the same thing that I am. And yet they're submitting to God and becoming a disciple. And, and because I've heard that story, maybe I can follow in that, that direction too. I, one of the things that is always uh, cool about youth ministry, and I'll talk about this in terms of baptism and communion as we move forward into that discussion, uh, is that uh, I always, uh, baptism of teens was always something special because almost always, they wanted the youth group there. And so it often for us often happened on a Wednesday night when we were already, you know, we'd have our big class. And then after class, we'd all go down to the, we were upstairs and we go downstairs to the, to the worship center. And, uh, and we, I mean, you gather at the front, not dispersed in pews, but at the front, uh, on the stage, on the steps or whatever, right there. And we'd sing and it'd be, it'd be just a really cool time. And you'd be up right there by the baptistry. Uh, when, when it's time to baptize, you get up right there with them. So they see everybody's right there, not out in the, the space out in the room, but right mm -hmm. there, right. Baptize them. Everybody's loud. Uh, it's, it's a celebration. There's more singing. And then you, the person, come back into the group and everybody comes around them, lays hands on them and, and prays. And, it, you know, that's like, I, I always love that aspect of it. You just didn't get that on a Sunday morning. Uh, there's, you know, talk about decorum, everybody stays in their seats and, you know, you just didn't try to get too rowdy or anything like that. But uh, those were always beautiful moments. Uh, in fact, uh, a, a parent of a teen that we baptized were so moved by that it, it brought them to church and led to their baptism wow. because of, of what they saw in that. Yeah. Uh, so, so this, this is not just a, it's, it's, you know, you can call it an evangelical moment, it, uh, evangelism moment. It's, it's, you can, you can teach the gospel through these things. It's a proclamation of the gospel. And when you see that all together with community, it, it, it sparks something uh, different. It tells a story. And so the same way happened with, you know, with teens and communion. I always loved doing communion on retreats. Mm. Uh, 
because we could always do it differently. We didn't have to be tied to proper ways of, of doing it. Uh, it could be creative. It could be story. It could be drama. It could be, uh, there could be a different kind of music. There could be different kinds of participants in leading. We could take it different ways. We could do different things. And it always be, made it more intimate and community oriented than, than just this isolated thing as we pass the trays throughout the, the, the assembly. So youth ministry always, always aimed for the, the, this different, you know, it always, always moved us into a different space. And so I like that. So here, here there are six, uh, six suggestions for, uh, for the Lord's supper, renew the meal, renew the table, renew community, renew the mood, renew the vision, uh, and rehearse the story. Uh, I came up with words for each of these two. Renew the meal is eat, you know, eat. It's a meal. So look at your way back, you know, when we used to have potlucks uh, before uh, pre-COVID. So uh, eat, you know, consider this as a special moment of being together. So it's not Sunday morning, maybe it is Sunday morning, but usually it's a Wednesday night or something like that. This is a moment of eating together. It's not just eating together, but the Lord is present with us. Uh, there's something about that. Renew the table, uh, gather together. Our traditional way of passing down the rows individualizes the moment. How do you gather people together in a service to, to do this? Uh, renew community. The idea of together, that's the, the togetherness of it. So you're gathering people in this renew the table, but renew community is that you are doing things that connect you with one another, uh, not just physically, but there are other ways to do that as well. Renew the mood. The word for that is joy. It's a celebration as well. Move it from the somber uh, thought about that's focused only on the crucifixion to this, the movement to joy of the resurrection, that communion is the whole thing. Uh, and not just, not just in that, the, the moment of crucifixion, but also in resurrection, uh, renew the vision. It's a variety. There's it's, it's bigger than, the, than we often make it to be. There's a, it's a bigger vision and rehearse. The story is tell it again. And so that kind of short, shorthand for the, the explanations that go about in the, in the chapter. Yeah. Yeah. Th this is an important one to me as a church planner, because I, I, one of the things that I realized is I can take something like this, that, that uh, we've definitely brought some limitations in, in our heritage with it, but I, I can, I can adopt these six points as I build it into what we do. Uh, now, granted, I can do some things here that you won't be able to do there because of size. You know, you've got several hundred members and I'm, I might have a dozen, but uh, I can gather folks for a meal and I can, we can eat together 
And as, as part of that process, we can then share, you know, bread and wine and I can, I can explain, I can tell the story. I can tell the experience. I can uh, revive the mood, so to speak. Um, and, and I'm looking forward to trying that. I, I, again, once we get through COVID, we're in Ontario under a stay at home order right now. So we can't, uh, there's no way I can gather people for that. Uh, but we've, uh, this house that we've, that we, that we bought and moved into has a really nice deck out back. We're hoping to be able to have uh, folks over for meals where we can share this sort of thing. One of the things that's always struck me, even about the way that we've customarily done it is that the language of the text itself indicates that there ought to be more than just this very solemn, uh, very controlled passing of trays. Everybody takes, you know, try to crack off the tiniest little bit of cracker, uh, little thimble full of juice. Um, but the language that Paul uses to go back to first Corinthians again is he, he says, for as often as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so there's this element where the sharing together of communion reminds us of the already but not yet dimension that we live in. So we have customarily treated the, the communion, the Lord's Supper, as a memorial. And I think we've forgotten the language of the text itself, that it's not just a memorial, it's also a proclamation. We're proclaiming the gospel as we break the bread and share the cup. It's a proclamation of the gospel, and it anticipates the return of Christ. And there's a discipleship move in that as well, that if we think about the fullness of what the Lord's Supper is, it, re it reminds us that there's still things happening. There's still things yet to happen. And the death of Jesus invites us into that sacrificial life that blesses the world that we still need to conduct ourselves in because he hasn't yet come. But when I break the bread with you and drink the cup with you, we're proclaiming that he is still to come. Yeah. They use uh, the word eschatological in here for mm -hmm. both of those, both the events, uh, which ties into something they've already talked about in an earlier chapter. Uh, yeah. The eschatology that there's this grand story that is yet to be finished and still much to be played out. And we're part of that. And so we're looking at the end and we're looking at uh, the things between the end and, and where we are right now and how we participate in that. And so the eschatology is not just about these, it's not about these crazy events that we think are going to happen. It's, mm -hmm. it is a, it brings everything into a line, you know, to that what we live in the future is, is in alignment with what's happened in the past and where we're going in the future. Uh, and that's what we recognize in these elements. You mentioned the idea of moving from memorial or uh, somberness to the, the words for Lord's Supper, Lord's Supper, uh, communion. I, you know, I introduced the one when I was in college called the Eucharist, which means Thanksgiving, mm -hmm. this idea. And it, that's one of the points of the, the, in the earlier part of the chapter, this idea that the communion is a Thanksgiving. It's, it's something that it's a, it's a rejoicing. Uh, and so, yeah, it's, there are, uh, this is a grand moment that 
that we celebrate in, uh, in, with great joy. Uh, and that doesn't mean we have to do away with all of our somberness. There are moments that I think what the authors are doing here are trying to expand. They're not trying to replace. They're trying to expand. They're trying to give this the fullest meaning as possible. And so there are moments that we're, we consider with somberness and mm-hmm. seriousness and, and uh, reverence. But there are also moments that we, uh, we participate in that, that, that show that it's a Thanksgiving. It's a celebration. It's something where there's conversation. Uh, one of the ways that uh, we do this, we used to do this, I look forward to doing it again, is every so often we have a, what we call, uh, where all of our shepherds and in our church, our shepherds and our wives, and then sometimes we don't have, uh, all shepherds can do that. So we uh, get other couples in our church to help us with this, uh, to stand at stations with the trays, the, 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 the bread and the cup, and the, the congregation moves to those stations. And so instead of, the, instead of the trays coming to you, you come to the trays and we ask the, the, the leaders there, the, the, the men and the women at the front to say something to each person as they, as they take of the, of the cup and the bread. Oh, that's good. Uh, and it's, and what you have is sometimes you can do it in a very orderly fashion. I learned that in attending Christmas Eve service in a Methodist church. <laughs> which I always loved, uh, you can create a little bit of disorderliness that creates interaction. People, you can create traffic flow where people don't, you know, bump into people, but that you can create this traffic flow where you just let people kind of go and you create these conversations and you encourage people to say something about to one, somebody else about the meal, about the, the, t- the moment. And so you have this fellowship. It's kind of a bustling time instead of a quiet time and people up and around, you can go visit uh, and, and talk to each other about this moment. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that's really, that's really good as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so what you're saying, and I, I completely agree with it. There is a time for the, for a more somber reflection. Uh, and not every week needs to be a party, but some weeks do need to be a party. You know, we, because we need to reflect the fullness of what it is that we're doing. Yes. And, and probably in our context, uh, especially larger churches like yours, not every week can be a, a meal. Not every week should be a meal. But maybe there's times even once a year where you can plan to, uh, to find some way to incorporate this aspect of having the meal together of which the Lord's Supper is a part. And uh, every, every church has potlucks mm-hmm. and well, you know, eventually we'll do it again. Every church will have potlucks. And, and so you can just take that moment. It begins even with that moment. And so maybe you can intentionalize that on a Sunday or something like that, but you can still take that moment and make it a communion moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, even already, you don't have to start something new in order to, to bring new focus to the, the mm-hmm. meals that you are already having as a, as a group, maybe you do that in your in your uh, in your small group ministry at church. We call ours journey groups, and so maybe you maybe the, the group itself eats together, and as as a part mm. as a way of eating together, you ask the groups to kind of think about this in terms of communion. So I think really good. I think something like this this list of things for the Lord's Supper, it would be great to you know I don't know copy it off in some way. I'm sure. 
it's okay for churches to do that or, or type it out or whatever and give it to your small group leaders uh, as ways of if creative thinking in their ways of do communion with their small groups. I think it'd be great to, to give that this list of things, this part of the chapter to the, you know, the team of people who regularly lead your communion meditations. Uh, perhaps you have a team or, or just give it to a volunteer as, as you, as you uh, suggest, as you ask somebody to do this this week or the next week or whatever, that's a regular handout. It's a regular resource to uh, those people. So that they can think about more than just their favorite topic uh, or, you know, just say something that they recently heard on the radio or, or something like that, that they're doing something that's very purposeful, meaningful to tell the story. Mm-hmm. I love the way you say that. This is, we're telling the story. This is a proclamation of the gospel mm-hmm. uh, as we do this. And how do we do that? Well, here are six suggestions, six different ways that uh, your, your volunteer leader can shape their meditation. Uh, for this moment. Man, really good conversation today, Stephen. I I hope that our listeners will be able to pull several nuggets out of this that will help them think through these uh, these aspects better. Uh, even if you're just a church member and you feel like uh, maybe you don't want to bring this up to your church leadership, I mean, it could definitely help you think about and share with your circle of friends a deeper reflection on baptism or, or to gather some friends over to your house and share a meal together and talk about Jesus. I mean, there's ways, so many ways for, for folks to interact with this. Uh, just re- I'm really glad we did this part too. I, we, we could not have gone into this kind of depth if we had put this in last time. And so I'm, I'm, I'm really thankful that we did this. You know, we're coming up on the end of the book here. We've got, I'm excited about in two weeks time, We'll be dropping an episode on the mission chapter, and I'm excited about that chapter because I think it's going to culminate a lot of their reflections to this point to to show how those go forward into what we need to be doing in the world. And then uh, in sometime coming up here, we've got a second interview coming up with Greg McKenzie. And I'm, I'm really excited about that. Really enjoyed the first one with him and getting to know him and talk about the book. I know you're excited about uh, that follow-up interview as well. Yeah. We're going to focus in on theological reflection Mm -hmm. uh, and maybe uh, we can uh, work that out just to have him work us through something, uh, maybe a theological reflection exercise. And so that we can not just talk about it, but maybe learn how to do that. And that would be a great resource for our listeners to share Mm-hmm. one in their own lives, but to share maybe with a Bible class or uh, their small group about how to do that. Uh, Cause that theological reflection is, is something they introduced in the very beginning. And I think is a very important way of taking scripture, how, the, the key to moving scripture from the text to our life uh, in very thoughtful and meaningful ways. So I'm looking forward to that. Cool. Well, hey, thank you all for listening. We encourage you to visit our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash discipleship conversations. Like the page, leave a comment. Consider sharing this episode with a friend, a church leader on your social media channel. You can find more episodes at discipleshipconversations.com or at your favorite podcast provider. We encourage you to subscribe at Apple, Spotify, Google, or Podbean. And you can catch the episodes will be downla- downloaded directly to your device through one of those services as well. Did I miss anything there, Stephen? 
I think you got it. Okay. Awesome. Well, great conversation today. Always good to see you. I'll look forward to, to catching up for our next episode on Chapter 7 on Mission. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to this Discipleship Conversation. We invite you to share this episode with your friends and tune in next time for another conversation. You can find previous episodes at discipleshipconversations.com. Jeremy coaches leaders and helps them find personal growth by aligning their actions with their values. He also leads discipleship cohorts. To connect with Jeremy, go to his website at jeremyhoover.com or contact him by email at jeremyhoover at gmail.com. Stephen provides discipleship and ministry coaching through various organizations. To connect with Stephen, go to his website at stephencarazel.wordpress.com. The music you hear through the episode is by audionautics.com. Thank you for listening.